Okay, here we go. So Ephesians chapter 4, we've been working our way through the fivefold ministry gifts. I've been excited to un, you know, tangle all of these verses here and really go into detail. We spent, we're spending time looking at each one of these gifts. Now let me read Ephesians 4, and I'm going to read like 7 through 11. Listen to this. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive the captives, and he gave gifts to people. Do we have any people out there? Three people, okay. Do we have any people over here? All right, they still won't make any noise. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? And he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Talking about Jesus here. Now, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. So, so far we've looked through what uh, Bible teachers routinely call the fivefold ministry gifts, and we're trying to understand their function and their relevancy in the body of Christ. As we get through each one of them, at the end, the scripture is going to tell us exactly what they're for. Our gifts are, are to bless us and to be you know, used by God, but they're more than just to be a blessing to us. They're to be a blessing to others, amen? God doesn't give you a, a wonderful gift so you could hog it all to yourself, amen? You got to share it. Well, I mean, uh, as a preaching gift, what good would it do if I only, you know, preached at home in my closet? Some of you might like that, but, you know, it's, uh, gifts are meant to be shared, amen? And so we looked at these gifts here, uh, and I want to say some things about gifts. Each gift that we're going to cover has a valid expression in the body of Christ, and each gift can also be hijacked and misused, amen? I'm covering these gifts, and then I'm telling you how they can be hijacked and misused because we need to be aware of that. I want to say something. Not everyone with a title in a church is called or appointed by God. Okay, I'll let that sit down and marinate for a little bit. Well, they got a title. They got Some people just, I don't know how they get in positions of authority, how they get titles. They're untested, untrained, unproven. Uh, but this is America. And you can get yourself a 5 by 7 diploma online, hang up a shingle and say you're an apostle, you're a prophet. You're a teacher. You're a pet. So understand that everyone with the title in the church is appointed by God. There will always be those who are self-appointed and self-anointed and some that will just be flat-out charlatans. The Scripture warns us over and over again that there will be the false, amen, false apostles, false prophets, false teachers. And so as we cover these gifts, realize there's a flip side to every one of them, and they can be hijacked. So far, we looked at apostles, and we said that apostleship uh, in the Scripture, if you're going to be an apostle, one of the 12 apostles, you had to have been with Jesus. You had to have been an eyewitness of his resurrection. So because that's thousands of years ago, there's no apostles in the earth today like the 12 apostles. But there are those that have apostolic gifts, what do apostles do? They plant churches, they protect sound theology, they pastor pastors, they lead leaders, they start missionary outreaches, they do evangelistic thrusts. So there are people who have apostolic anointings, apostolic gifts, but they can't say, well, hey, I'm an apostle just like the apostle Paul. Okay, we got that? Can I move on? 
Okay, so then we covered prophets. We noted that there seems to be some difference in the Old Testament prophets and the, and the New Testament prophets. The scope of how prophets function differ. The Old Testament prophets were just for Israel. The New Testament prophets speak to the New Testament church, but they also speak to the culture of the day. Why? Because in the Old Testament, God only dealt with Israel. Because they were the only group that was saved. The rest of us were crazy, lost Gentiles. We were not connected to God. We were not yet grafted in. But in the New Testament, everyone has the potential to be saved and become a child of God. Someone say amen. So New Testament prophets seem to function a little bit different than Old Testament prophets. It would be hard for us to say who the New Testament Isaiah is or the New Testament Ezekiel or Daniel. So understand there are some differences there that we need to consider. Uh, but prophecy is a valid gift that has always functioned in the New Testament church. There have always been prophets. We talked about Agabus in the book of Acts who prophesied to Paul. You can look Agabus up. You can look up the prophecies that he gave to Paul. So understand New Testament prophecy is a valid thing. What I'm doing right now is prophetic. When I'm speaking the word of God, this is not just something that's delivered by human understanding, human intellect, human anointing. It's God. Amen. So preachers that preach under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit are being prophetic. So lots of things about the prophetic. Uh, we also noted how that can be hijacked and there are false prophets. There are people, <laughs> you know, who will tap into dark forces, demonic things and prophesy. You know, the psychic friends hotline is not prophetic. It's demonic. Hello. Don't mess with that occult stuff. It's not for it's not for the child of God. So uh, we covered apostles. We covered prophets. Now, our text continues giving us the third gift of the five gifts, and that's the gift of evangelists. Look, it gives some prophets, some apostles, some prophets and some evangelists. So we're looking at evangelists tonight. Most of us know what evangelists are. Can can we agree? Or right, let's get a good working definition of it. Uh, evangelists, uh, you know, are those who have a gift to share the gospel with the unsaved. And understanding the purpose and the function of an evangelist is important because we need evangelists operating in the body of Christ today, man. You say, well, why do we need that? We got the local church. We got pastors. We got good teaching. We got a million books. We got seminars. We got webinars. We got everything. What do we? We need people who have a special gift to reach the lost. Amen. Some of you don't look excited. Thanks, buddy. Say, well, that's not my gift. I'm scared. You know, I don't like to. I don't want to stand in front. I don't want to talk. I don't want to share my faith. All of us are evangelistic to a degree, and we have to be. We're going to talk about that. But there are those who have a specific gift to be evangelistic, and they share the gospel in such a way that the lost can receive it and people get saved. So the word evangelist is from the Greek word euangeliste. Euangeliste means a bringer of good news. Doesn't that sound exciting? How many like good news? When you open the mailbox, it's not bills and, and, and tickets. It's good news, amen? Evangelists are bringers of good news. It says, what, they're bearers of good tidings. So that's what euangeliste means, that, you know, you bring the good news. You bring good tidings. You, you're bringing this message of the gospel. The gospel is good news. Now, we're, we're going to look at those who have been evangelistic uh, in Scripture. Number one, God himself was evangelistic. 
God the Father. Check this out. Uh, in Galatians 3, 8, it says this. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed by you. When God spoke to Abraham and said all the nations would be blessed by you, he was being prophetic. He was also being evangelistic because he was speaking about the fact that through the Abrahamic covenant and the grafting in of the Gentiles, all of the nations would be saved through the cross. God himself shared the gospel. He shared it even before Jesus walked the earth. He shared it with Father Abraham, and he spoke of the blessings that would come through the gospel. John the Baptist was certainly evangelistic, wasn't he? What did John the Baptist do? He prepared the way of the Lord. He was, he was calling people to a baptism of repentance. He was baptizing people, and he was preparing the way of the Lord. He was telling them to repent, amen? And so we see this guy, John, a forerunner of Jesus, being very evangelistic, you know, bringing to pass what Scripture had promised, preaching the gospel, uh, a baptism of repentance to prepare people's heart to meet the Messiah. Jesus functioned as an evangelist as he proclaimed the good news. He often went in the temple and taught and shared the good news. In Luke 20, verse 1, it says this, and one of on one of those days while he was teaching the people in the temple, this is Jesus, and preaching the gospel. Did you hear that? Jesus was teaching and preaching the gospel. The chief priests and the scribes with the elders confronted him. The religious people never liked the gospel. But Jesus, being the word, came and shared the gospel. He's preaching and teaching. He's sharing the good news. He's being evangelistic. Paul the Apostle was an incredible evangelist, laying his life down completely for the work of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Romans 1, 15. So for my part, Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So Paul, you know, was thoroughly an evangelist. He was many things as an apostle, uh, you know, but uh, in all things, he was evangelistic, writing two-thirds of the New Testament, sharing the gospel, first with the Jews from synagogue to synagogue, reaching out. Why? Because it's for the Jew first, then the Greek. Then he shifts gears, and he becomes the apostle who evangelizes the Gentile world. What an incredible man of God that we get to look at. Uh, the thing about Paul that makes him such an incredible evangelist is how he started off. He started off persecuting the church and killing Christians. But then God turns him around and he becomes a great evangelist preaching the gospel and converting the Gentile world. How about this deacon that was in the early church? His name was Philip the Evangelist. How many think he was evangelistic? When evangelism is in your name, amen, that's like saying, do you think John baptized people? Yeah, he was John the Baptist. And Philip was an evangelist, Acts 21, 8. On that day, we left and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, right in his name, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. So here's a man in the early church that had the gifting to be an evangelist, among others in the early church, but it was actually what he was known for. You know, and that speaks to us that people, you know, who are gifted in this way will be known for it. Why? Because it'll be obviously upon them. Amen. When people who have evangelistic gifts, I've known some, some of them that uh, they're just incredible. Wherever you put them, all of a sudden they're talking about Jesus and people are listening. 
you know, our own Pastor Mike has a very evangelistic spirit. You could put him in any crowd. I remember one time we were doing missions in New York City and we were in front of Yankee Stadium. He started preaching and evangelizing, got a crowd around him, started talking about, I mean, and it was just amazing to watch that gift being used. And so understand uh, evangelism's part of the early church from its inception. Uh, we look at Timothy here, Paul's protege. He was exhorted by Paul to be evangelistic. It says this in 2 Timothy 4 through 5. But as for you, use self-restraint in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Look what Paul says to Timothy. You know, among all things, restrain yourself, be in order, be disciplined, but do the work of an evangelist. Now, Timothy was called to be a pastor, but also functioned in a strong ministry gift of evangelism. And we're going to talk about this at some point, how the gifts interact together. Uh, we can never think that I don't have to share my faith or, or the gospel with others because I'm not gifted to do that. Now, how many here would say, you know, your primary gift is not the gift of evangelism? So you're all off the hook. You don't have to tell anybody about Jesus. My primary gift is not evangelism, but I'm expected to, as Timothy was as a pastor, to do the work of an evangelist. Amen? And so are you, all of us. We can never think, well, that's not my gift, Pastor, so I'll just, you know, I'll pray and I'll wait for somebody who has that gift to come. No, all of us have a responsibility. Every believer in the early church was evangelistic. They shared the good news, and wherever they went, they shared the good news. And wherever they got chased to or fled from or, or when there was persecution, wherever they went, whatever they were doing, wherever they got pushed, they would share the good news. Listen, we need to be contagious for Jesus Christ. Amen? Listen to Acts 8.4. Therefore, those who had been scattered, you know, persecution scattered the body of Christ in the early church. You know, the Romans were killing Christians. They were using them as human torches to light up their coliseums. They were feeding them to lions, sawing them in half, martyring them. And the, now it's dead quiet. And, and what happened? They would flee from persecution, but wherever they went, look at it, it says, therefore those who were scattered, scattered by what? Persecution. Went through places preaching the word. This is what I want you to get. No matter where we go or what we're doing or who we're around, you and I need to be contagious with the gospel. We need to share our faith with everyone who has ears. And if they don't have ears, write it down on a piece of paper and show it if they have eyes. I, somehow, some way, share your faith. Our text in Ephesians 4.11 shows us that while we're called to do evangelism, and that call is universal for all believers, it's also a distinct spiritual calling given to specific people who are gifted and equipped to share the gospel in a way that's unique and powerful and relevant so that the lost can be saved. And that's what I want you to get. If you have evangelistic gifts, you're going to think of unique ways to share the gospel. You're going to have ideas. You're going to have uh, look for opportunities. And people who have this gift, you know, they're amazing. And like I said, watching them function is a thing of natural beauty. Why? Because it's a, it's a gift from God, and it produces salvation. You know, what we did here on Easter Sunday was evangelistic. Come on, Wednesday night. What we did here on Sunday, I've got to get the defibrillators out in two seconds here. We were up there. Why do we have Jesus on the cross? We know Jesus died on the cross. 
Why do we have to nail them up there and hang them up? Why do we have to get people dressed up and, you know, in costumes? Well, we didn't need that. Did anyone of you that know Jesus and love Jesus get resaved? No. That wasn't for us. That was evangelism. And it produced souls. I think upwards of 20 people accepted Christ in those two services. Amen. That's awesome. That's evangelism. Now, when, when you see these things done under the anointing with, uh, you know, when, when people put their heart and their soul into it, it's an awesome thing to behold, isn't it? And, and we need to look for more opportunities to be evangelistic and to release those who have that gift. Because I'm telling you what, we're living in a world that's going to hell. And we, and we are the mechanism that brings the gospel to the lost. And so, Father, allow evangelism to just explode in your churches, in your body, Lord. Place evangelists in the body of Christ and activate their gifts for such a time as this, we ask in Jesus' name. The spiritual gift of evangelism is mentioned in sequence here before the gift of pastor and teacher. And I want to I talk to you about that a little bit. The reason it's, you know, apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastor, teacher, we're going to cover that because the gifts interact and work together. And I believe the, part of the reason that evangelism is mentioned before pastor, teacher, not that one gift is better than the other, but, you know, there are, you know, definitely apostleship is an amazing thing, the prophetic. So it's not like pastor, teachers are the, you know, well, they're the, you know, they're the low gifts and, you know, all the gifts are important, amen, and they work together. But I believe the reason that evangelism is before pastor-teacher is partly because evangelists, unlike most pastor-teachers, uh, are not tied down to one specific local church. It's like, well, we hired an evangelist at Full Gospel Center, and they're just going to do evangelism here. No, evangelists generally don't get tied down to one local church. They travel around. And, you know, they need to work with local pastors when they travel. So the evangelist needs to be one who can work with churches, with church leaders, with pastors to, to make their ministry function properly. So understand the way the gifts build upon each other and the way they work together and complement each other. An evangelist needs to be able to have good rapport with pastors in local churches. Why? So they can come in and minister uh, they bring a powerful message to that community in unique and special ways. Now, evangelists routinely come to a city, they will minister, they'll produce converts, and they leave. You tracking with me? What they do is they blow in, they blow up, and they blow out. Thanks, Tom. They blow in, they blow up, and they blow out, and they leave. And what happens if they don't have a good connection to the local body, the local pastor? Those people that get saved by their ministry don't get plugged into local churches and their faith is aborted and they don't reach maturity. So get this, understand how evangelists work. They, they can't be lone rangers. They can't be a solo act. They can't just come in and do their own thing. They've got to work with local churches and local churches have to work with them. So I want you to understand how this works. So when I bring someone into ministry, when Mike Gurton comes in, realize he's functioning as an evangelist. So when, you know, somebody like that comes, invite your unsaved friends and family. 
It's not just to, you know, tickle the saved and say, woo, isn't that great? We had a good time. Do you see those, all those little props he had? No, it's to, it's to get the lost saved. So understand how evangelism works. They're going to come in. They're going to produce converts, but then they're going to leave. So then it's up to the local churches to network and, and, and be connected and to get these people and grab them and to help them develop their faith and to follow up on them. It's a very important thing. Over the years, uh, I'm coming up on 30 years of full-time ministry. Over the years, I've seen evangelists visit local churches, and they network with local pastors. I've seen them hold events. People get saved and then plugged into the churches before they left. That's the best case example of evangelism. One, one time, it must be almost 15 years ago, we had a ministry come in from Australia and do extreme sports. Were any of you here when, when they did that? My mom's shaking her head. The rest of you are looking at me. Two people back there. Yeah, they came in and they did extreme sports from Australia. They were bikers and all. And they were, they were a great group. And they coordinated with all the local churches. And a bunch of people got saved at their events. They, they blocked out the Civic Center. They did all this stuff. And you know what? After they left, all those people got plugged in and followed up on. And we had information. And, and those souls were retained. That's how evangelism is supposed to work. Now, if you have an evangelist that, you know, thinks they're Billy Big Shot and they come in and they don't want to work with any of the local churches and they're just going to do their thing and take their offering, that's not the way it works. And you and I shouldn't even support that because it'll, it'll create spiritual miscarriages. People, will, they'll, get, they'll get saved, they'll make a commitment, and they won't have anywhere to go. And so as we look at this gift here, we need to understand how it functions, why it's mentioned in the sequence that it is, how it works properly, there have always been evangelists operating in the body of Christ. When we started this, I talked about, you know, all of the expressions of, you know, how evangelists have always functioned and, and what their job is. I'm going to show you a video clip of an evangelist uh, in a little bit. We're going to just get to enjoy some, some of that. But we, we've all heard of people and we know names because a lot of these evangelists become household names. In the late 1800s and 1900s, there were evangelists like Billy Sunday, Dwight L. Moody, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Wesley, Charles Finney. There were tent preachers and revivalists that traveled all around. You know, that was the time of the tent preachers where they would come into a town, they'd set up a tent, they'd put sawdust on the ground, they'd preach hellfire and brimstone, the whole town would get saved. The bars would close down. Charles Finney preached some incredible crusades in upstate New York, uh, revivals where whole entire towns got converted. Bars literally shut down because people stopped going to them. The churches were filled. I wonder if us, by the reaction of us just sitting there, like, I wonder if any of us actually believe that God could do that today. You know, I believe if we got excited enough and committed enough and prayed enough and stopped with our stupid video games and computer screens and Facebook and social media and we got in our prayer closets and prayed and, and got ourselves in God's face, I believe God would pour out revival. But, you know, I believe he doesn't sometimes because the people of God are not engaged and they're, they're, not, they're not hungry. Oh, I'm going to preach till I hurt myself, I could tell. But you, you've all heard names like that, Dwight Moody. You, you heard of him, right? Billy Sunday, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Wesley, Finney. Finney, as a young man, I read a lot of his 
uh, a lot of his theology. Powerful guy. If, you, if you're studying Finney's theology, you need to take small bites because you'll hurt yourself. It, it's just, you know, this, it'll, it's a call to holiness. So 1800s, 1900s, we had the revivalists, the traveling preachers, tent preachers, more modern guys like Oral Roberts, Billy Graham. You know, some of you here probably are in the generation where you could still remember seeing Billy Graham crusades on TV. How many have seen that sort of thing? Amen. Raise your hand. Praise God. So, you know, obviously Billy Graham, one of the great American evangelists, Reinhard Bonnke, who, who recently passed away, who evangelized Africa, would have amazing crusades there. How many have heard of Reinhard Bonnke? Just an amazing man of God. Uh, you know, Franklin Graham now is, is uh, carrying on where Billy left off. Um, there's unique evangelists. Like, how many have ever heard of a guy named Arthur Blessed? Arthur Blessed carried a cross around thousands of miles, a wooden cross on from town to town, place to place. Uh, I, I was looking in, into him. I've seen him so many times. But, you know, he, he carried this wooden cross for thousands of miles all over uh, the world, and people would come and gather a crowd, and he'd share the gospel with them. What a unique way to share the gospel, amen? And, and I want you to see that evangelists are unique, and they, they do have, you know, a special little ways to connect with people. Um, you know, the, the tent evangelists gave way to the televangelists. And as you know, we've had a lot of problems with televangelists. And some of the, I'm not saying they're all bad. I'm not saying all the stuff on TV, but you got to be very careful about what you watch on TV. I'm just telling you that. If, you know, some Christians are so gullible, man, you got to be able to test the spirits. I mean, some of these people, I hate to say it, but, you know, you, you have to make sure what you're opening yourself up to. Because there's too much money involved, there's too much. Uh, It's going to bring me to the, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, evangelists need to be vetted like everyone else. But, you know, we have uh, Arthur Blessed. I think, uh, you know, Franklin Graham's doing amazing stuff right now with his outreach and all of what they do. And uh, a guy named Greg Laurie. Who's heard of Greg Laurie? We're going to watch a clip of Greg Laurie at the end of this message just to see how he gives the altar call and see how modern evangelists work. But. I want to cover some of the dangers associated with evangelism. Like with every gift, it can be hijacked. Say amen. Just because someone says, I'm a prophet, I'm an evangelist, I'm a pastor, test the spirits. There's wolves in sheep's clothing. There's false everything out there. The Bible told us to watch out for that. So I want to say some things about the, the, the exposures of evangelism. Evangelists, no matter how well-connected or how much they travel, or how big their ministry is, need to have a home church and their own pastor. That's right. Oh, well, where, where do you go to church? Well, I don't go to church. I am the church. I am the this. I am the that. No, you're not. You're an evangelist. You need to work with local churches. You need to have your own church where you worship, where your family worships, where you have a pastor that can speak into your life. This is important stuff. Understand it. Uh, evangelists need to have transparency and accountability in their ministries, just like pastors, because they can be easily tempted into moral, financial, or sexual misconduct, and that embarrasses the body of Christ. 
You know, in the 80s and 90s, we saw televangelists one after another fall like dominoes. Why? Because they didn't have any accountability and their lives got out of order. Why? Because when you don't have any transparency or accountability or your own home church or your own pastor, you are an easy target for the devil. You know, you watch the animal kingdom. Who do the lions pick off? The stragglers, the ones who were separated from the pack. So evangelists, you know, They have to have that connection to a local church. They have to have transparency. There's too much temptation for people in ministry if they don't have someone to cover them. Uh, Another thing I want to say is evangelists should not be allowed to minister in any church until the leadership of that church has vetted them, both for theological soundness and personal integrity. Amen? Nobody gets behind this pulpit because they called me and said, Hey, Pastor, I'd like to come preach at your church. Hey, buddy, I don't know you. You understand if someone gets behind this pulpit, if someone comes here and and they minister, it's because I've vetted them as best I could. I've gauged whether their anointing is real. Uh, You know, I've discerned what's going on. You're not going to get people up here who just, you know, they they blew in and said, I want to preach. The sheep have to be protected. The body of Christ has to be protected. Someone gets behind the pulpit, you, you, you know, I need to make sure that they're solid before I let them minister to you. Now, we have people here like Pastor Forbes comes in from Africa, and he's a blessing. I've had teachers from my Bible school over the years come, uh, Dick Grout, uh, Mike Gurton, Stacy Klein, who just passed away. You know, these are great men of God that have solid ministries and solid reputations. But understand, you know, when the body of Christ gets sloppy and they they take people with name recognition or they just see it's a, you know, it looks like an exciting thing. So that's that's dangerous. Evangelism, like every other gift, can be hijacked. It can be misused. Now, too many scandals have plagued the church. Too many scandals have plagued the televangelism circuit over the past decades. And that makes a really strong case for us to vet and to test and to prove before we let people minister to the body of Christ. If churches did this, we would cut down the scandals, we would cut down the bogus ministries, we would cut all of that down. So pray for leaders, pray for the body of Christ, pray for evangelists that they would have integrity and covering and follow some of these principles that I'm covering here. Because even people who start out with the right intentions, if they don't uh, get covered and connected and have accountability, all of us can get into trouble. So as with all the fivefold ministries, you know, we cover this part where they can they can, you know, become the false. Um, it should be understood by everyone who does any ministry of any kind that the ministry is not a business. Tom, don't say anything. I want to try that again. Some of you need to make noise. I'm going to bring my water gun to church. Super soaker. The ministry is not a business. Ah, That's a little better. It's It's not a financial opportunity. It's not a vocation that you choose because, you know, it's lucrative. And that needs to be understood by anyone who goes into ministry. Unfortunately, you know, the faults prey on the gullibility of the, the sheep and many times they damage the body of Christ before they're exposed. Um, 
to be a fraud or not to have the right intents. The ministry is not a get-rich-quick opportunity. The purpose of the ministry is not to make ministers rich and famous so they can live lives of privilege and luxury. That is not the purpose of the ministry. Ministers of any kind, whatever ones they are, apostles, prophets, pastors, whatever, they have to be servant leaders, amen? If you ever get around a ministry or a minister where the person acts like they're royalty or they're a king or they expect to be waited on and they, listen to me, run out of there and shake the dust off your shoes real quick, okay? Now, I say this stuff because, you know, we're here behind enemy lines in New Yorkistan, and every week people come to me and say, hey, I'm leaving. I'm gone. I'm out of New York State, Pastor. I'm going to Florida. I'm going to Texas. I'm going to North Carolina. I'm going anywhere but here. And I tell you this because if, you, if God moves you and you go somewhere, be very careful who you put yourself under. Make sure any leader that you are under is sound biblical, that they have covering, that they are, uh, you know, they are servants, very important. Servant leadership is what's required of every Christian minister. Uh, it takes humility and restraint. Every Christian minister should avoid excesses. You know, I, I know a lot of people, you know, that, you know, they got five houses and a, and a, per, and a jet and this and all that stuff. You know, what? I, I'm not saying that Christians can't have stuff or be blessed or whatever. But, you know, what? excessiveness just looks bad to the world. We should practice moderation, amen. You know, I'm happy driving a, a, a Toyota Tundra. That's wonderful, amen. Don't need a, you know, we don't need flashy this and flashy that, amen. It, it just makes people uneasy. Um, there again, that's not the purpose of ministry, so we can be rich and famous and have all the luxuries. No, uh, I think restraint and moderation is the key. We need to see that in our pastors, in our evangelists, in all of those who are ministers, to avoid the excesses, amen, that might compromise or embarrass the body of Christ. Servant leadership is what we're called to. Now, ministers don't have to be poor or broke or, you know, starving. Someone say amen. You know, thank God he takes care of us well. The Bible says that he who preaches and teaches the word is worthy of double honor. So they should be honored financially. They should be, on, be taken care of, amen. But excesses are dangerous, and I think we should practice moderation. Philippians 4, 4 through 5. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. So moderation is something we should all practice. Moderation is something that ministers should practice, that evangelists should practice. Be leery of those people who are just too flashy, who have just too much, and you feel a little uncomfortable with it. Amen? There's a reason you do, because it's not moderation, and it doesn't look good to anybody. I want to close this message out here on evangelism by just listening to a little clip of Greg Laurie. Greg Laurie is an evangelist that's been around for a long time. He's also a pastor, a great teacher. Um, I think he's a blessing to the body of Christ. You know, we're going to look at him. He's been doing something called Harvest America. They do these big crusades in stadiums. And I just want you to listen to how he uniquely brings in the net and gives an altar call and uh, just kind of get a taste of that. Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, was sent on a rescue mission to planet Earth 
to die in our place and absorb God's judgment that should have come, come upon us and he took it upon himself. Jesus came to pay a debt he did not owe because we owe a debt we could not pay. But three days later, Jesus Christ rose again from the dead and he's with us right here, right now in this place. He is standing at the door of your life and he's knocking and he's saying, if you'll hear his voice and open the door, he'll come in. My question to you is, do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that if you were to die tonight, that you would go to heaven? Tonight over in the United Kingdom, some people have lost their life. They're probably going to go and have a good time, have a meal, maybe have a few drinks, party a little bit. Who knows what they were doing? Suddenly everything changed. And they entered into eternity. Now we never know when eternity is going to come for us. We never know when life is going to end for us. That's why we, we want to get this dealt with right here, right now, and not put it off. But I'm telling you, you can know with certainty that you'll go to heaven when you die. You say, great how? By saying to God, I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sin. And I believe Jesus died for me. And I want him to come into my life and forgive me. He'll do that for you tonight. Have you asked them into your life? In a moment, we're going to pray, and I'm going to extend an invitation to any here who have never asked Jesus to come into their life to be their Savior and Lord. If you need to do this, do it here. And this will be the greatest night of your life. Let's all bow our heads. Everybody pray, please. Father, I pray now for any that have joined us may not yet know you. Help them to see their need for you, Lord. Help them to come to you. Help them to believe in you and receive your forgiveness. And when our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and we're praying together, how many of you would say, Greg, pray for me. I want Jesus Christ to come into my life. I want him to forgive me of my sin. I want to know that when I die, I will go to heaven. I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. Pray for me if that's your desire. If you want Christ to come into your life, if you want him to forgive you of your sin, if you want to go to heaven when you die, if you want to fill that big hole in your heart, would you just raise your hand up wherever you are, and I'll pray for you. Raise your hand up where I can see you. God bless you. God bless you. All over the room, hands are going on. I hope yours is one of them. If you need to take this little step. Anybody else? Raise your hand up. Let me pray for you. You're asking Jesus to come into your life. God bless each one of you raising your hand. While our heads are still bowed, maybe some of you would say, well, Greg, I'm a little bit like your mom. I was raised knowing what's right, but I've run from it. And I need to come back to the Lord again. If you need to return to Jesus Christ, would you raise your hand up? If you need to make a recommitment to Him, raise your hand and let me pray for you. God bless each one. Now I'm going to ask every one of you that has raised your hand, if you would please, I want you to stand to your feet and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Just stand up, every one of you that raised your hand, making that commitment or recommitment to Christ, and we're going to pray together. Just stand up, that's right, stand up. Others are standing, you won't be alone. Just stand up, we're going to pray together. We're going to get this resolved right here, right now. Anybody else, stand to your feet if you would please. God bless you. I'll wait another moment. You want Jesus to come into your life? 
you want your sin forgiven or you want to come back to Jesus again, stand up and we're going to pray together. God bless you. God bless all of you standing. I'll wait one more moment and then we'll pray. Anybody else? Stand down. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. All right. You that are standing, I want you to pray this prayer out loud after me. Again, as I pray, you pray this prayer out loud after me. Okay? All of you standing, pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but I know you're the Savior who died on the cross and shed your blood for every sin I have ever committed. I'm sorry for my sin. I turn from my sin. I choose to follow Jesus from this moment forward. Thank you for calling me and accepting me and forgiving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless each one of you that prayed that prayer. Good stuff. You know, there are some people, it seems like no matter what we do in the body of Christ, there are some people who are critics. And they'll say, oh, well, that's sinner's prayer. That's not in the Bible. That, that doesn't save anyone. That's false. And the truth is, I think it's a great mechanism to get people to make a choice. The Bible says that, you know, that when we confess his name in, in public, when we confess him before men, he'll confess us. It's a great mechanism to get people to acknowledge Christ to ask Jesus into their lives. Amen. When Peter preached his first sermon and 3,000 converts were made, he shared the gospel with them. They responded. Amen. It's a great mechanism. Does the prayer save you? Is that is it? No, it's not. There's no magic in that. It's not, you know, a little prayer that you got to say. No, it's a heart. And so evangelism is a powerful tool to reach the generation. I just want to close this session by bowing our heads and praying that God would raise up some mighty evangelists in the last days here and that even ones that would come out of this church and come visit this church because you know what more than anything else I want to see people get saved and come to know Jesus amen and you know one more thing about altar calls I answered an altar call when I was 14 at this altar and it it, it worked so I'm still here <laughs> Father we just thank you tonight for the fivefold ministry gifts we thank you for uh understanding them and seeing how they work in concert together. Father, we pray that you would raise up evangelists in our generation with pure hearts who are transparent, who are not lovers of money, but are, are lovers of souls, and, and that they would have a kingdom message to, to preach to the masses in unique and powerful ways. Father, raise them up and anoint them, Lord God, to preach the gospel to this generation that is so hurting and broken and lost. Father, I pray that you would bring solid evangelism to Dutchess County and the churches here and to, even to Full Gospel Center, Lord, that we would see the gospel preached in such unique ways that it would bring revival in our churches, in our families, in our children. Father, this generation needs to see the power of God displayed. Father, I pray that you activate those spiritual gifts in us and in the body. And Father, let the harvest come in, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give him praise tonight.